Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. John chapter 1, we're working our way through the Gospel of John, and uh, um, we will... um... Look, we will start here in just a moment uh, in verse 19. If you need a Bible that you can put in your lap, feel free to grab one from the um, sides of the tech booth back there. If you are a user of the Bible app, you can open the app and find our live event and track along with the scriptures uh, and sermon notes and all that kind of stuff. Um, question for you. You ever been to a, you ever been to a concert um, where, uh, you, I mean, you were there for the headliner, okay? Like the name that was on the ticket. You were there for that. But the opening act, you really, really enjoyed. Anybody had that experience before? Great. Um, this, this is kind of where we are. Uh, because we, um, just next week, um, we will start uh, hearing the stories of Jesus. John wrote the Gospel of John so that we um, would believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing have life in his name. This is the invitation. Um, and, and so the kind of uh, prologue here, as we've kind of built up to it, is the opening act. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to tell you, like, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> and um, uh, John the Baptist, as we'll read today, uh, he's really the, the, the guy who's going to launch um, the readiness, if you will, of the people um, to receive Jesus so that they would know and understand uh, who he is. This is where we are. And I'll just say this. Uh, I kind of mentioned this last week, but I want to say it again. Um, I will do my best to read John the Baptist as John the Baptist uh, because you've got the gospel of John and then John the Baptist. And if you're, you know, you need half a cup of coffee more, you may get lost in that. I don't want that for anybody. So I'm not trying to be annoying. This is just what we're going to do here. So starting in chapter 1, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John the Baptist. Uh, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Um, they com- he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. He said no. They said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer um, to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way, make straight the way of the Lord, and, um, as the prophet Isaiah said. And just pause here for just a moment. Um, I, I want to just provide a, just a little bit of context. For, for what is being said here. Uh, because John, uh, John the Baptist, in his ministry, he launched out, man, and it, it was, boy, it was crazy. So back in Luke chapter 3, uh, this is just a, a few verses here um, on the ministry of John. Here's just some historical context so that we're tracking along here. I'm going to start um, in verse, uh, let's start in verse 7. Uh, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized him. And when you think about crowds, John is out in the wilderness, okay? And uh, you, you need to picture like um, like a tailgate party before uh, like a major sporting event, okay? Because these weren't just a few crowds. This wasn't like uh, 40 people showed up. This is crowds upon crowds upon crowds upon crowds. They came out. This is who we're talking about here. Um, and John uh, said, oh, he came out to be baptized by him because he was trying to ready them for what Jesus was doing um, or going to do. Uh, you brood of vipers. Can we just pause right there and say, what a heck of an opener. I mean, like uh, you're a den of snakes, all of you. Who warned you uh, from, to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What was he saying? Hey, listen, don't come out for the show. Do the things that 
you know that you're supposed to do. That's what he's after there. And don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Don't count on the fact that you are Jewish. Uh, in order to uh, be made right with God. Don't count on the fact that uh, you were born in a Christian home, if you will, uh, to be made right with God. Don't, don't count on those things at all. Verse 9. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. He's not just trimming. He's going after it. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit, good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so the crowds asked him, what are we supposed to do? What should we do? He answered him, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors. Boo, right? That, that's, that's. Tax collectors also came to be baptized by him um, and said, to, Teacher, what shall we do? He said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do so. Soldiers also asked him, And what, what are we supposed to do? He said to them, Don't extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered to them, saying, No, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy, I'm too untied. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. You brood of vipers, bear fruit and keep you in repentance. Don't steal stuff. It's good news. Why is it good news? Because he's readying them for what God wants to do in their life. That, that's the, he's the opening act for what God is going to do in Jesus for these people. This is why it's good news. And so if you will, uh, back uh, to chapter 1 of John, uh, verse 25. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you're neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, John answered them, I baptize you with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. We've heard this before. What's the deal with that? Well, um, a, a, a student was to take care of his teacher and whatever they needed. That student needs a cup of water. I mean, excuse me, the teacher needs a cup of water. Guess what? The student was responsible to get it. You need a towel. You needed this. You needed that. This is what was, the only thing that the student um, was not supposed to do was to bend down and help the guy take his shoes off. That was the job of a slave. And John is saying, I'm not even worthy to do that. There is nothing for him that I will not do. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. little parenthetical here. Um, John knew who Jesus was, but he didn't understand the fullness um, of of, uh, his role he didn't understand that he was um, fully the Messiah until until he was baptized. Um, for he came baptizing uh, with water that he might be revealed to Israel. John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I didn't. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, "He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit." And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. So. Um, If John's kind of the opening act for the headliner, uh, what are the top three songs, if you will? What what are the three big hits for John the Baptist? Um, Here they are. Number one, consistently point people to Jesus. 
consistently point to Jesus. In John the Baptist's life, he lived a life that prompted questions. This can be true of you and me too. Live a life that prompts questions. Like, who are you? They rolled out there like, man, we don't understand everything that's happening. Who are you? A life that prompts questions. What do you mean by that? Well, two, two negatives. Number one, you don't have to be weird. John the Baptist rolled around in a uh, uh, cloak of camel's hair and he ate locusts and honey. You don't need to be that person. You're off the hook. Normal Christianity is weird enough in the situation in which we find ourselves in culture. Let's be those kinds of people. And it will prompt questions. Normal Christianity. Not nominal Christianity just in name only, but normal Christianity. Secondly, you don't have to be a jerk, okay? So you don't have to be weird, but you also don't have to be a jerk. There's a little bit of this undercurrent um, in the, uh, the kind of the broader church that says, well... Um, you know, maybe we just need to flip some tables and get on with it. If you find a religious establishment that is robbing the poor in order to make money off of God's name, go ahead and flip the tables, okay? But maybe just maybe we need to um, ref- like confine that impulse to that right there. And instead, um, uh, we just realize that the fruit of the Spirit really is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And hot takes aren't always the best takes. And all the other lessons that go along with that. A life, uh, a life that prompts questions. Um, we can be both winsome, th- that is filled with that kind of settled joy, that helps us navigate our lives. I mean, yeah, there's some hard stuff I'm going to have to navigate. And over here, oh, look, it's Tuesday, and there's some wonderful things that I can just celebrate. And we have this kind of settled joy that lets us walk through both of those things equally. And that's enough to prompt questions. But it's also not just winsome, it's also committed. There is nothing that Jesus could ask of me that I would not do. The, The strap of his sandal, I'm not worthy to untie. But if he did it, I'd ask. I mean, if he asked, I would do it. A life that prompts questions. The second part is, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait to be winsome. You don't have to wait to live in this kind of settled joy that walks between uh, bo- both difficult circumstances as well as things worth celebrating. You don't have to wait to be winsome. You can serve people around you right now. You can love people around you um, right now. Reach out to people around you right now. You can pray for people around you or offer to pray for them um, right now. You can help people around you right now. You can live that way. And in our cultural moment that is so self-absorbed and doing it for clicks and a hundred other things, to do it just because the opportunity is there, it will prompt its own questions. Last thing. Um, let confusion uh, trigger confession. I say that because I've just encountered this more. Um, really, normally, my inclination would be to kind of say this in a different context and in a different way. But I, I've encountered this more and more. Um, there have been and, and uh, are like all of these kind of 
forces, if you will, and assumptions in our culture that want to put Christians in particular boxes. Okay, oh, you're a Christian, therefore you fit in this particular box. It sounds a little bit like, um, are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? I'm assuming some things about you, and you must fit here, or you must fit here, or you must fit down here, or you must fit here. These are the places where I'm going to sit. You believe this, you believe... Whatever it may be, let confusion about those things. But because our life should prompt, uh, our life should trigger, if you will, um, these kind of things that go, look, I, I would assume that I, you would fit into this box, but your life looks a little bit different than that box can contain. That's the goal. That's what we're hoping for. And we're going to let the confusion trigger a confession. Because here's what's reality. They're, that in itself, when people try to pigeonhole or label, what they are being is judgmental. And in doing so, oh, this is very, very normal in our day. Um, in doing so, it actually says far, far more about them than it does you. Because pigeonholing, pigeonholing people who follow Jesus, it is a normal thing, but it is not the defining thing of our lives. We don't have to pull back. We don't have to like, like run away from that. We can just say our lives don't fit in the neat category that the world wants to construct. I, um, th- there's a Walt Whitman quote. And it says, be curious, not judgmental. I've been really helped by that. Um, nowhere has it been better applied uh, than by the great theologian Ted Lasso. And if you're unfamiliar with Ted Lasso, it's a show on Apple TV, a little rough, um, but there's some really poignant moments, and here's one of them. Ted Lasso is in a bet against a former owner of the team who is absolutely doing exactly what we're saying. He's putting him in a particular box. Watch the clip. Mm. Man, we don't need to win. Two trips, 20s, and I'm sorry. <laughs> Good luck. You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. And I like that. So I get back in my car, I'm driving to work, and all of a sudden it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out, so they judged everything, and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me. Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> if they were curious, they would ask questions. Yeah. Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? (laughs) Which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to 16, he passed away. Barbecue sauce. Loved a little look at the end there and the kind of side glance with the, like, hey, did you see that coming? What if our lives were like that? 
world wants to pigeonhole, world wants to uh, uh, label culture, wants to kind of make assumptions, and the, it can, we can have the tendency to back off instead of to step up and say, you know what you could be is curious. We don't have to live in fear. We can consistently point people to Jesus. And in their confusion, we can trigger the confession. Oh, we're, we're not anything uniquely special, but we know somebody who is consistently point to Jesus. Um, second, big thing, big hit, if you will, from John the Baptist, the opening act. Let Jesus deal with sin. Verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let Jesus uh, deal with sin. What kind of sin are we talking about? Let's start with our own sin. Let, let Jesus deal with your sin. Why? Um, because it is in us, especially in some of us, um, to once Jesus has um, gone to work and has um, uh, uh, revealed himself to us, we, we go, oh, you know, Jesus, thank you so much for forgiving me. And thank you so much for uh, um, uh, uh, do, doing what you did for me. And now I understand that it's my job to take on all of this weight and I'm going to walk around with it. I'm going to just sling it in my backpack here and I'm going to run around with it to make myself feel bad because you had to do that for me. And somehow I'm going to pay you back. That's a terrible idea, just in case you're wondering. It's a terrible idea. Jesus is not honored by that and your back hurts. The good works that you and I get to do are not compensation for the bad things that we did. Otherwise, what we have is this kind of merited mercy, and that is a contradiction in and of itself. Nobody merits mercy. Why? Because it's mercy. And you think, well, that's good for the guy next to me here, because he doesn't look like, I mean, that big of a sinner. I, though, grade A, corn-fed, all natural sinner like I, that's me. I I I need to do this because I'm I'm not clean. I, I don't. I'm not sure Jesus can handle all of this. To you, I would just say this. Um, there's a particular encounter. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me with a. Uh, with a leper. If you're not familiar with leprosy, um, there in, in the first century time, they had to walk around um, unclean, unclean. They had to declare themselves unclean. And uh, most people uh, would, would uh, kind of skirt away from them or make them go to the other side of the street or the other side of the road or whatever so that they didn't get close. Jesus, though, encounters this one particular guy and approaches him. Hey, what's going on? Well, I heard that you're capable of healing me. Jesus touches him and says, I will. Uh, yeah, I'm capable, but I'm willing. So be clean. Jesus didn't become unclean by making him clean. Out of the overflow of who he is, he made the leper clean. 
he made the leper clean. <clears throat> he encountered a demon-possessed guy one time. Lived among the tombs. The, the townsfolk would um, try to chain him up, and he was so overcome with darkness, supernatural energy and power was inside of him so that he would break the chains apart, but nobody thought that he was actually free. And Jesus encounters this man. And deals with the forces and implications of darkness in his life. And the next time the town folks see him, he is clothed and sitting and in his right mind. Because what they offered and what he tried, what the man went before he encountered Jesus, um, it was a, it was a kind of fake. Freedom, and nobody actually thought it was freedom. They were just hoping it would be something like it. Jesus offers real freedom. Funeral comes by. Jesus stops the funeral procession. In our day and age, he would have cracked the coffin open, looked at the person laying there, and said, Hey, man, get up. You've got to go take care of your mom. And he did. The unclean become clean. Those in bondage live in freedom. Those just overwhelmed death experience life. Jesus can deal with your sin. That's what he says. And behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And one more time, just in our minds, let's um, put ourselves um, in, in this particular context. John Referencing um, the, the kind of uh, uh, Passover uh, celebration in our uh, day, if you know any people who uh, practice the Jewish religion, Yom Kippur, and they would bring in two goats um, and they would cast uh, lots for them. They, they would roll dice to see. And one, one would be taken into the temple and slaughtered to pay for sin. And some people think that that's all that was accomplished in the moment. Jesus paid for sin, but it's blood and guts everywhere. And so I need to help clean the place up. I need to make sure that I do my part to, to bring all of this kind of back into order. But that's not what happened. That's not the whole story. One was indeed a payment for sin. The other one, the high priest would lay his hands on him, confess the sin of the nation over, and then, uh, over this goat, and then it would be led away. He was called the scapegoat, the one who would bear the guilt and be taken away. And so when John points here, the, the, behold the Lamb of God, who does what? Who takes away the sin of the world. He doesn't just make payment for it and leave a bloody mess there on the table for us to clean up. Listen, He takes away our sin. You and I have the opportunity to live differently because He's the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. He can deal with your sin. When He said it was finished, it's finished. He wasn't joking. The, the other thing, though, is we need to um, let Jesus deal with other people's sin. Let Jesus deal with other people's sin. He is their only hope for forgiveness. They may not like his method, but rarely do you meet somebody where you're like, hey, listen, I know somebody who wants to forgive you, and they're like, eh, eh, eh. People know the, the um, devastation of darkness and they know the nag of guilt. And so when you get into these kind of conversations, which I hope you do, um, you, you can represent by consistently pointing people to Jesus that Jesus can deal with their sin. He can. 
Our, our approach is simple. You just point them, point them to Jesus. This is what he does. Anybody seen this before? I, I never really understood it. Um, I guess I kind of understand it coming out of like a sandy area or a beach area or whatever. But you have a pool, like in a public place, a hotel or somewhere like that. And they have a little shower outside. And they're like, please shower before getting in the pool. And my question was, I, listen, I'm not, I'm not a pool expert. My question was always, do you not keep chlorine in the pool? Like, why do you need somebody to shower before they get into the pool? Again, if you're coming from the sandy beach and you don't want sand in the bottom, that's fine. I, I get all that. I'm just talking about the normal pool. You're like, take a shower before you get in the pool. That's weird. Sometimes this is exactly what we think others ought to do. Take a shower before they get into the pool. Jesus doesn't require them to be clean before he cleanses them. Let Jesus deal with other people's sin. Last thing. You and I, we get the opportunity to grow through our obedience. We grow through um, our obedience. Look at verse 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. So um, he's the one that I'm pointing to. I myself did not know him. This is, again, where we were. Uh, he know, there's, there's family connection there. He knows who Jesus is, but he's not certain of his identity as the Messiah. Um, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like him. Um, like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So in your mind, this is the picture. John the Baptist, um, he's baptizing people, baptizing people, and he has two things in mind. Uh, One, um, he knows that he's supposed to baptize. That's a command. Secondly, he has a promise, and here's the promise. There's going to be a moment where you baptize somebody, John, and the Spirit of God is going to come down and rest on them like a dove and remain, and this this is the one who's the Messiah. And John puts it all together in Jesus when he baptizes. John the Baptist puts it all together when he baptizes Jesus. And here's what I would say. If he had not been obeying the command... Go out and baptize. Ready the people for um, Jesus coming. If he had not been obeying the command, he wouldn't have seen all that he got to see. Our obedience readies us for revelation. We come to know God more and more and more because our obedience readies us for this revelation. There are times in our lives when we will not know the impact and we will not know the ramification of our obedience. One of the things that paralyzes us um, is this kind of, oh, well, I kind of wonder um, what might happen or what might come. Or I've got three different scenarios and I'm not sure what... Listen, you're not responsible for those three scenarios. The thing that you and I are responsible for in this moment and in the next moment in the next moment is the one step that God has asked us to do. And in our obedience, it will ready us to know God more into to, uh, more intimately and to follow him um, uh, more closely. And so here in John 14, verse 21, Jesus says this, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it, he it is who will be loved by my father and I will love him. And then listen, and manifest, show, reveal myself to him. The revelation of Jesus, the ongoing revelation of Jesus depends, if you will, in our lives on our obedience. 
people who obey him in what they know they are supposed to do know him well. Because he continues to reveal himself to them. Don't delay your obedience because of things that you wonder might happen. Don't do it. Just do what God wants you to do and keep doing it. Uh, This week, um, my youngest had a uh, living wax museum as part of her school. Um, Kind of a cool kind of history timeline through, uh, you know, kind of early first, second century up to the uh, Middle Ages. Um, one of the uh, kids dressed up as Monica of Hippo. Monica, anybody? Monica? Nobody? Okay, it's okay. She was a mom. She was a mom. She prayed for her son. She prayed for her son a lot. She prayed for her son while um, he was off doing incredibly stupid things. She prayed for her son while he got packed full of his own ego. She prayed for her son while he moved away to a different city and then ultimately to a different continent. She prayed for her son while he was fully engaged in the kind of immorality that if we said it out loud in this moment, it would make you blush. She prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed because that's what she knew that she was supposed to do. And then one day, Jesus got a hold of her son whose name was Augustine. And if you're not familiar with church history, Augustine left us a library full of biblical and theological wisdom, became the bishop of Carthage and uh, fought off one of the primary challenges uh, to the the, uh, church's confession of the deity of Christ. Monica prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Some of you know um, or have heard uh, of a pastor named Dr. Charles Stanley. He was a pastor of First Baptist Atlanta for eons, decades upon decades. Passed away actually this past week. I'm not sure if they're going to put this on his tombstone, but this is the one thing that, con- that uh, like the life message of Dr. Charles Stanley was something that looked exactly like this. This is his quote. Obey God and leave all the consequences to him. Obey God. Leave all the consequences to him. We grow through our obedience. What does that look like for us as a church family? Let me just give you these three W words to hang on to and think about. Okay? Uh, Number one, for us as a church family, uh, let's obey God in our walk. Like where we encounter um, uh, the world and where we uh, step out into the normal warp and wolf of our lives, let's obey God in our God-given, blood-bought identity. We are the people of Jesus. Let's look like it. He is our king. He is the only side on which we need to be. He is the only one who is worthy of our allegiance. And let there not be a single thing that we are unwilling to do for him. I I won't even, I'm not worthy to bend down and untie his shoe. But if he asks, I will do it. Our walk with Jesus. Let's look like him. Think like him, believe like him, 
act like him, feel like him, speak like him, do the things that he did. Let's be those kind of people. Secondly, our worship, that we, yes, collectively in here, we would lean in. Yes, 100%, all the time. We would lean in, but our lives would reflect, Jesus, you are worthy of everything, everything. There is nothing, nothing that you're not worthy of. You're worthy of everything. And then thirdly, our witness. We would consistently point Behold, the Lamb of God. He can deal with your sin. I can't deal with your sin. I mean, you don't even sin in the ways that I like to sin. So I'm not sure we're, you know, on the same page. But Jesus, Jesus can deal with your sin. He can. So we just consistently point, behold, the Lamb of God. As a church family, we talk about it. we got this little pyramid thing. Uh, the, the base layer of it, if you will, the expectation is that we will participate in this culture of invitation, that we consistently invite people um, to church uh, to participate with us in what God is doing. Secondly, because of those conversations, the mid-tier is that we get the opportunity to share, uh, to tell our story, because this is how God has sustained us. And lastly, and hopefully, we get the opportunity to share the gospel and let them know of what Jesus has done. Uh, for them as well as for us. We witness, behold, the Lamb of God. I don't know which one of those for you um, rings the truest in terms of where the, the place where you need to grow through your obedience. But according to Jesus, as we obey, we will come to know him more and more and more intimately. And that's the invitation this morning. Grow through your obedience. Let me pray for us. And then we'll uh, have a moment to respond together. If you need to kind of just settle yourself in, you go right ahead. Uh, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that our lives um, would be uh, reflective of your kingdom. And that though we may encounter judgment in the world, that uh, we would take it as opportunities. to answer questions of curiosity that may be underneath that kind of labeling, pigeonholing stuff. May our lives reflect that. Um, Father, and I pray in particular for any single person in here who is at a place where you know, they know that uh, this is the next step of their obedience. I pray that you would give them the courage to take it and you would meet them as they do so. Pray for us as a church that we would live out the things that you have for us. We don't want to be sidelined people. We don't want to armchair quarterback anything. Put us in the game. Put us in the game. We give you all of this now, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.